Alhamdulillah, the sound is fine. Human 
But at the end, the Quran will always offer a solution, and that is the method we should adopt in addressing any and every issue we face as individuals and also as a community, so that we see the brighter side of life, so to speak. There's always light for us at the end of the tunnel. A Muslim, by definition, cannot be pessimistic. A Muslim, by definition, cannot be negative. A Muslim, by definition, cannot be defeatist. Uh, a Muslim, by definition, is optimistic because he believes in Allah. He believes in the nur of Allah. He believes in the Prophet He believes in the deen. He believes in the Day of Judgment, so his outlook to the future is always going to be based on Allah's Rahmah and everything else that comes along with Allah's Rahmah. So, yes, we do have problems with ourselves as individuals and we do have problems with the community and the society. We have the problem with the British government as we have problems with the uh, USA government. So problems are everywhere, and what we must appreciate is how the Qur'an and the Sunnah, the Sahaba, and all the great awliya of Allah in Islam, how they negotiated those problems and how they solved problems by being together, seeing each other as well-wishers, that good counsel, nasihah. Uh, winning goodness for others now comes into play and so on. So nowadays you have a lot of helplines and you have a lot of support groups and you have rehabilitation uh, for those who are addicts and so on. And at the same time you have policing and you have some other things that the government has as far as regulations and so on. But we, we should be careful that we do not become pessimistic and we don't shut the doors of Allah's Rahmah upon ourselves. So that is why the doors of Tawbah are left wide open until we die. And the door and the gate of Tawbah is huge, it's wide open for anybody who wishes to return to Allah and to seek forgiveness from Him and to repent and then reform himself according to the Qur'an Sunnah. So this is the backdrop against which I will be speaking, inshallah. There are many ayat in the Qur'an that speak of how we must control ourselves. I think one ayah comes to mind, that as far as the person who fears the status and the rank of his Lord and prevents himself from following his desires and passion, uh, for him then Jannah, paradise, is a place of great refuge and comfort and uh, living and dwelling forever. So these, these ayahs speak volumes as to how we must see ourselves, and so on. One of the most uh, unfortunate problems with uh, uh, living in the West, and maybe in the East also today, is that we want to be left alone, and we want to be left free 
to do and to choose whatever we want to do and choose. And that creates a significant problem in terms of understanding the role of religion, understanding the role of Allah the Rasul, understanding the role of Islam. And I think it is from here that we should start our discussion and say, say, somebody has a problem. He's, uh, you know, he's going out uh, with women or women going out with men or he's, you know, abusing himself with drugs or alcohol or he's doing other things that are sinful and wrong. Uh, he's, uh, he, you know, disobedient towards his parents and everything else. He's lying, cheating, deceiving in his business. He's ripping off the government through scams and scandals and he's doing things that are totally immoral in his behavior, in his transactions and also in his dealings with people and so on. So, you know, these are some of the problems that we all face as a community, perhaps everywhere in the world. So I think we must be, I think, honest to ourselves that we have to appreciate the role of Allah, the role of the Rasul, the role of Islam in our lives. What is their role? And their role is the role of a guide, of someone who gives you directions that don't go this way, but rather go this way. That requires the individual to surrender and submit to Allah, to the Rasul, and to Islam. This submission is a, a mental process, it's psychological, and it's intellectual and spiritual. And unless someone actually believes from his or her own heart that I must submit to Allah's authority over me and uh, appoint Allah as my referee, appoint the Rasul as my referee, appoint Islam as my referee in life, rather than go after my whims and passions and desires and run my life according to how I see fit, then Islam really is not in the picture of that person. Islam means nothing to that person. You can pray five times a day, okay, and you can fast, and you can give zakat, and you can go for hajj, but if you have not conceded in your mind, that in my business dealings, I still have to follow what Allah and Rasul said, what Islam says. In my behavior with my parents, my children, my spouse, my relatives, my aunts, uncles, cousins, dozens, I need to now understand how to behave and then mirror my behavior in the mirror of the Prophet And then when I do dealings, then I must be honest and truthful. I can't be someone who's a cheater, a liar, a deceiver. And I need to do things according to the Sunnah of the Prophet. ﷺ. I have to be honest to myself. Okay? The question is uh, Am I willing to be honest uh, to myself with myself? Never mind what my parents say, never mind what the Maulana says in the Masjid, uh, never mind what my uh, siblings may say. I need to be certain that I'm doing what I need to do to please Allah please the Rasul and to follow the deen. I think this issue of submitting and surrendering to Allah's authority is key. So now, in a kind of liberal society, as we have a kind of an 
unfortunately, extra, extra liberal communities and societies in the world today. As I said, nobody wants anyone as a referee. And morality is left to the individual to determine and to decide that if I feel this is good, then it's good for me. And don't tell me that my feeling is wrong because my feeling is very powerful. My feeling is subjective. My feeling is personal, private and sacred. And nobody can tell me what to do against my feeling. So if you go with that mindset, which unfortunately some of us have succumbed to uh, doing that, then obviously you know, you're know you not going to get anywhere in terms of Islam, your deen, and the akhirah. So I think here, what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying to us, that understand the status and the rank of who your Lord is. Who is Allah to you? So sit down and think. So this is a mental exercise that everybody needs to now come to terms with and they need to perform this exercise on a daily basis and say who is Allah to me what is Allah doing for me what has Allah done for me and what will Allah do for me and that is now the reason why I want to now please Allah because he's going to be my ultimate refuge my ultimate salvation, my ultimate place of comfort, which the ayah says, ma'wa and ma'wa, the place of refuge. Okay, so you, you, you are looking to do things to either find comfort, to satisfy yourself, or to find some fun and enjoyment and pleasure in what you do. Sometimes you do things to escape realities and to escape problems. And sometimes you do things to hurt people because you want to stick it to them. Right? So here we have now all of these stimuli, reasons why we behave and why we do what we do. We put all of those into one bucket. And then on the other side, you see, what does Allah want me to do here? What does my Lord want me to do here? What does the Prophet want me to do here? What does Islam say I should do here? So that is now called the maqam, understanding the rank and the presence of Allah, the Rasul, and of deen in our minds, consciously and subconsciously. So I think this is where we should start as individuals. So somebody, God forbid, who is now going out of his way to, 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 to have some fun and, you know, follow his desires and passion and, uh, you know, uh, uh, go, go out with women or women going out with men or uh, drinking and gambling and all of them. They, they want either pleasure, satisfaction, or they're escaping from something. Right? So now, what is that escape? What is that comfort that you're going to derive from that? So the Quran is saying, understand that Allah, your Lord, is the one who's going to give you the ultimate place of comfort and the ultimate place where you can satisfy all your desires and have the greatest amount of fun that you could imagine. And that place is called Jannah, that place is called Paradise, but you need to earn it, meaning that if you don't know how to earn something, then you don't know how to now bring that thing into your life through halal means, then obviously you're probably a loser and you know you don't, you don't want to be known uh, in the community as a loser, basically. So when we come to terms with the idea, okay, 
I have this desire or this uh, need or I have this willingness to escape reality and I want to do this. And this, this, all of that is, is now haram. Now, wh wh how do I make the choice? Why do I make the choice I make? So if the common ideology that is prevalent in the minds of people, especially living in the West, is that don't tell me what to do. This whole thing about the, uh, you know, the virus, the COVID-19, and the idea that you should wear masks in the community has a lot to do with taking away people's freedom. Okay? Now, I really don't care what your view or theory of the COVID vaccine is, whether you think it's a conspiracy or not, I really don't care. The fact of the matter is people are getting sick and people are dying. Okay. Now, you tell the whole group of people that is basically by nature anti-establishment, right? Uh, that the psyche of people is anti-establishment, they don't want to listen to anyone, and they don't want to listen to the government especially. And you tell all of these people, put a mask on. So what's now the reaction? Rebellion. Absolute rebellion. So that is the state of mankind in general. You tell man not to do this, so what does he do? He does it. Why? Because he can. Because he wants to rebel. Oh. So that is how Allah subhanahu wa characterizes human beings, uh, that uh, human beings are uh, very, very uh, 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 confrontational. Uh, Man is the most confrontational species. You talk to anybody, they argue. Not this way, that way. You have an idea, somebody will be there cutting you down, shooting you down. No, that's wrong. Uh, and if you say something, uh, which is quite unique, they will sh shoot you down. No, that's not right. So, there is a certain rebellion. Insan has been created from this, uh, you know, this sperm. Then all of a sudden, he is an open enemy. He is now a khaslim. He's an opponent. Uh, man likes to oppose authority, man likes to rebel, and man likes to be anti-establishment. So this works in terms of government. It also works at the micro level when it comes to saying to a human being, look, you can't do this with this woman, and you can't do this with this man, and you can't do this with, this with your money, meaning gambling, and you can't do this with this alcohol, meaning drinking. So whenever someone is, is telling somebody that don't do this, man and human being will say, no, because you told me not to do it, I'm going to do it. That is now what the Quran is saying, that man is like this, very argumentative, very confrontational. So that's in our nature, unfortunately. So what is the Quran's solution? The Quran's solution is submit and surrender to Allah and the Rasul and Islam, but willingly, not by force. It's mental exercise, it's a psychological one, it's an emotional one, it's an intellectual one. That I am now going to submit willingly, as the Quran says, la there's no compulsion in religion. So the beauty of Islam is that Islam means surrender and submission. But to whom? To Allah. So you submit and surrender to Allah, but you do it willingly. 
that you know that Allah loves you, you know the Prophet loves you, and you know Islam only wants good for you. When you know that these uh, realities are good for you, and that they're, they're kind to you, they're generous to you, then you will say, okay, subhanAllah, this person or this being is a well-wisher. He only wants good for me, so why should I rebel against someone who wants good for me? Uh, you go to the doctor, God forbid, and you have a sickness, you have an illness, or God forbid, you have a disease, and the doctor and the nurse is trying to get you better and help you get better through medication. So if you sit there or lie there on the hospital bed rebelling against the nurse and the doctor, then obviously you're the biggest fool on the planet. So likewise, when you get mentally diseased or spiritually diseased or morally diseased, and the Qur'an and Sunnah, Allah and the Rasul come in and say, look, well, you're a bit sick here, uh, you need to take this medicine. Uh, if you take this medicine, you'll feel better, you'll get better, and you'll get stronger and healthier, etc. So there's no reason why you should sit there and debate the Qur'an and Sunnah and say, no, don't tell me what to do. So, if you do not respect and appreciate the maqam, as the word is, maqam, the rank and the status of Allah, who is our Lord, then the conversation is not for you. Right? This conversation is only for the person who respects and appreciates Allah's maqam, his rank, his presence, and the role of the Rasul in our lives, and so on and the role of Islam in our lives. Now, that is premised, is based on the amount of love, hope, compassion, and forgiveness Allah has for us, and the Rasul has for us. So Allah is always ghafoor, rahim, is always forgiving, is always merciful, he shows his rahman, and so on. So, this is the type of being we are submitting to. We're not submitting to an authority that is going to be tyrannical and going to be oppressive and is going to kill you, even though Allah can. If Allah wants, He can punish us any time for our sins, but He doesn't. What does that show us who Allah is? That despite all the sins and mistakes that we make and despite all the non-conformist rebellion we show against Allah and the Rasul and despite all our flaws and errors in our personality and the immorality we have in ourselves, etc. Despite all of that, Allah still feeds us. Allah still keeps us. We still have, mashallah, so many different types of inamat, blessings, gifts of Allah. Every day, 24-7, we are submerged in Allah's ni'mah all the time. But Allah doesn't take us to task for that in this world. Allah says, I'll give you time. I'll give you uh, some respite. Uh, you can come to me whenever you want. I'm always here. Uh, so we're not submitting or surrendering to someone who's a tyrant. Someone who is now vindictive. Someone who wants to just uh, capture us and punish us. Well, because we have made some mistakes and so on. This is the maqam of Allah. This is the maqam of our Rabb. This is who he is. This is his presence and this is his status. And this is uh, the rank that he has over us. That uh, despite everything, uh, he is now not just willing and able, but he actually does provide for us. 
and keeps us under his the shadow, under his supervision, under his rahmah at all times. And we still live and we still do things the way we do things and so on. So if there was a, God forbid, a person who is now hired by a company and in that company this one employee says, I don't like the boss, I don't like the company and he's always talking rebellion, rebellion, rebellion. Then obviously you know where he's going. He'll get the pink slip and he's out of there. Allah doesn't do that to us. That the more people rebel, the more Allah gives time. There are people in this world who deny Allah's existence, known as the atheists. And there are people in this world who don't know whether God exists or not, and those are the agnostics. There are people in the world who now commit shirk and they worship idols, and they're known as the polytheists and all of that. And there are the people in the world like us who are Muslims, but we continuously, habitually commit sin day in and day out, but Allah doesn't punish us. The Quran says, that if Allah wanted to, if Allah wanted to punish people for their full injustice and their inequities and their blunders and their mistakes, then He would not have spared a single creature on the earth. That's Allah's pardon. But He doesn't. Why does He do that? Because He cares. In Allah bin Allah is very considerate towards people. Raheem, exceptionally showing rahmah all the time. So now, if you have a case to rebel against someone, then you must know why you're rebelling. You're rebelling because that person's a tyrant, you don't like that person, or there's something that is of a flaw, right? And a huge deficiency in that person. But Allah is perfect. He shows compassion, He shows grace, He shows mercy, He shows rahmah all, all the time. So there's no reason for someone to rebel against Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So what I'm saying is that, that one is Allah's authority of us, and the second is Allah's love for us. Allah's enduring compassion and enduring affection and consideration for us. That should prompt us to say, okay, I willingly submit to this one because he is doing all this. For me, all the time, he doesn't disappear, he doesn't sleep, he never gets tired of taking care of the heavens and the earth, and he never gets tired of, uh, you know, taking care of me as an individual at the micro level and the macro level, the heavens and the earth and the sun and the moon and the stars, and Allah's arsh, they're still intact, mashallah, so he doesn't take, get tired of doing that. So this is a, a phenomenal being who is always involved in making sure that there is room space and time for me to exist, to live, to operate, and then hopefully also to enjoy myself a little bit. So there's no reason why a Muslim would want to rebel against Allah, simply because Allah loves the Muslim so much, and the proof is always in the pudding. Yeah. Then look at the Rasul Yes, he has an authority over us. And his authority is supreme. We say and do what he says and does. But at the same time, he has great compassion for the believers. Allah says about the Prophet that he is very considerate and compassionate towards the believers. And he shows great rahmah towards all the believers that he is now required by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, seek forgiveness for them when they approach Him. 
ولو انهم اذ ظلموا انفسهم جاءوك فاستغفروا الله واستغفر لهم الرسول لوجد الله توابا رحيما that when they approach you and they are now doing injustice then you must seek forgiveness for their sins Allah is telling the Prophet them that he must seek forgiveness for the sins of the believers. This one being, who is Muhammad Sallallahu has tremendous compassion and concern for his fellow believers. So why would you rebel against somebody who loves you that much? If you have parents, and God forbid they do everything for you, and the sun which they usually do, uh, and then you rebel against them, then obviously you're, you're the greatest ingrate on the planet. Yeah? You, should, you don't deserve to live. That's with your parents. But if you see Allah and the Rasul who do so much for the believer, so much for the Muslim, then there's absolutely no reason to contest the idea that they are referees in our lives. And what they say is much better for us than what we feel. Feelings are temporary. Feelings are fleeting. You cannot create a system of governance because based on every individual's feelings, otherwise you won't be able to rule or govern, administrate, and so on. It doesn't work that way. There'd be total chaos. So likewise, in this system of love and compassion for all human beings, especially Muslims, the Quran, Sunnah, and Islam, they say to all believers that out of uh, compassion for you, we want you to stop doing this and do this. Why? Because we are worried about the consequences of your action. So you must look at the consequences of sin and the consequences of following your desires and passions against the Quran and Sunnah. What is the consequence? The first immediate consequence is that depression, misery. And the immediate consequence is confusion. And the immediate consequence is now being uh, super aggressive and rebellious. And the immediate consequence is not having a way of life. That you're just like scattered animals roaming around, eating from here and eating from there, and there's no order, there's no discipline. These are consequences of our sins, which we see in our communities all the time. It's confusion after confusion, there's now depression after depression, there's anger after anger, God forbid, there's suicidal thoughts, and then the rest is history. So now, look at the consequences of following your desires and your whims and plans. You'll see that, you know, if we stopped sinning, you know, the the, the, the shrinks wouldn't have a job in the world. You would not need to go to a shrink. There's no reason why a Muslim should be depressed. If you are depressed, obviously, seek counsel. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that as a person who believes in Allah's rahmah, Allah's might and power and, and ability, and one who believes in the Prophet as role model, you should be living a life of contentment, uh, of being uh, careful, of uh, being now satisfied with what Allah and Rasul gives you, and living a life that leads you and others towards a very peaceful life in the akhirah. And so on. The Quran promises this for those who believe. Right? So when you understand the psychological, emotional trauma that unfortunately people go through when they commit mistakes, and especially against themselves, as the Quran says, that we have not been unjust to them. In fact, they have been unjust to themselves. So the dhulam is against ourselves. 
as Adam and Hawa both of them said when they tasted from the forbidden fruit in Jannah Lord, we have wronged ourselves we have committed injustice against ourselves they didn't blame God for telling them not to go to the tree they didn't blame the devil for insinuating they blame themselves and that is the way of Adam and the way of Hawa both of them did this so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has already given us a role model in Jannah before we came to this world that look, you are now going to be given this road map that as human beings invariably you will make mistakes and you will commit sins. Allah saying us all protect all. But when you do that, you must understand the consequences. If you take drugs, the consequences are enormous. Other than the addiction part, there are just so many complications when you take this. You may get a few moments of fleeting experience. You might get a high for a few seconds, a few minutes. But at the end of that, withdrawals, and then the pain, the suffering, uh, okay, the addiction, the amount of pain you cause your family members, your siblings, your parents, everybody around you, the amount of pain and funding that's needed by the government to take care of you. These are all crimes. So now, just because you want to feel good should not give you the license to make everybody else's life miserable. Because when you do that, then obviously you're ingrate, as I said. You have no shukr, and you have no respect for yourself, you have no respect for Allah and the Rasul, and you have no respect for society. So this is the way forward and that Muslims must, first of all, appreciate. Uh, that there are consequences to everything we say, everything we do. Uh, the Quran mentions this, which is uh, that the, the compensation for a bad deed is something bad also, as the Prophet said. Sometimes you are punished in this world for the sins you commit. Uh, the Quran says, that whatever type of musibah, calamity, disaster that befalls you sometimes is because of your own sins, because of what you have earned yourself. Okay, so you go back to the drawing board and then you say, okay, objectively, what could I have done differently? It's easy to blame others, and sometimes others are to blame. I'm not saying that people are all angels around you and they're not evil, they're not spiteful, whatever. They are to blame. But what does that do for you? Are you going to now sit there and fall into another hole that you have dug for yourself and feel sorry for yourself because somebody has wronged you? Or are you going to climb out of that hole and say, okay, subhanAllah, life is much more than that and I want to look forward to the akhirah, to the grave and to Jannah and everything else and that gives you momentum to now go forward, move forward and so on. So I think we, we must... Uh, value Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's prescription, the Prophet sallallahu prescription, and we must identify Allah and the Rasul as our, not just referees, but also our guide, but more than that, they are two beings who love us more than anyone else. And the Quran attests to this in two ayat. One ayat talks about Allah's love for believers. Allah, 
Allah is the friend of those who believe. When Allah is your friend, what else do you need in the world? Now, the friend that Allah is doesn't mean to say that he will spare you of tests and trials and tribulations. Uh, he doesn't do that because he's your Lord. He's training you. So sometimes a certain difficulty may come upon you. You might be facing a certain trial or tribulation. Sometimes people will do things wrong to you. Sometimes you may not be in the best of spirits. Obviously you can't maintain this level of Iman 24-7. There are ups and downs as human beings are human beings. Uh, they're not robots and they're, they're not machines. And so they're going to have feelings and moods. And then they'll have other crises and moments of pleasure, moments of joy, moments of sadness, moments of happiness and everything else. That comes with a package. That's the human being. That's just life. But in this life, when you realize that Allah is your wali, Allah is the closest thing to you, Allah is your patron, Allah is your friend, that he is now there for you and you must turn to him at all times for your needs for your now when he does respond uh, as the prophet said allah responds to everybody's dua uh, he will do it the way he sees fit he may not do it the way you want him to do it and that's also another sign of allah's patronage allah's wilaya allah's friendship over us now he does what's best for us so sometimes as the hadith of the Prophet says, when you make a dua, sometimes Allah will give you what you want. And other times Allah will now not give you what you want, but he will repel an imminent danger away from you. Or he may not even do that. He may store the reward of the dua for you so that when he meets you on the day of judgment and then introduces you to the reward, for the dua you made, you will say to Allah, if only you had not accepted any of my duas, I would have got so much more reward here. That's called positive thinking. That's called love for the believer. See, Allah is the Rabb, He's the Lord. He trains and He fosters and He develops. That the psyche of a Muslim is never going to be pessimistic. Oh, I make dua for one day of the week, mashallah, one day of the month, one day of the year. Uh, we get a footah, we make dua, and we think which Jibreel and salah. That should not be the case. Then, yeah, you can do as much as you want. But Allah is Allah. You cannot put any conditions and boundaries on Him. So yes, make dua because you are in need of Allah's rahmah. And we should do that because that is the Prophet's way. But do not impose anything on Allah. Allah. Uh, I want this job. Give me this job. Sometimes you get the job, sometimes you won't. That doesn't mean Allah has abandoned you. It just means that He is now doing something for you that is probably better for you. You, don't just, you just don't know how Allah works. And so you cannot play God with yourself. And you can't play God with God Himself either. So you have to learn how to negotiate that in real life, in real time and space, that everything is not at the spur of the moment. Okay, The uh, impatience of this generation is stupendous. MashaAllah, God forbid you this. MashaAllah, you're working on how to get onto this web. This link here wasn't working and so on. But, you know, Alhamdulillah, everybody was so calm and cool and connected. They weren't impatient and they got along with it. If you went anywhere else in the world where there was no deen, no Islam, no Rasul, no Allah, then I was really being patient. What is this? That, you know, get your act together. There's no organization and this and that. You know, 
God forbid your internet doesn't work for five seconds, then you're up the pole, basically. Ah, you're head over heels in anger and frustration, what kind of service is this? The internet is not coming for 10 seconds. Alhamdulillah, mashallah. Uh, 40 years ago, we didn't have anything. We used to get a telegram from another country, which probably would have taken two days to get here. Uh, so now, the, the impatience that modern-day technology has created within human beings, uh, Muslims, unfortunately, have become part of that culture. They're so impatient. The things need to happen now. Give me a drive-through solution to my problem. And those are hard to come by. The drive-through food, mashallah, gives you diarrhea at the best of times. I don't think you should try drive-through Islam. It doesn't work then. Uh, so patience is now necessary if you want to understand how Allah loves you. So this ayah talks about how much Allah loves the believer. Uh, that's far as Allah's love for us. As far as the Rasul sallallahu love for us, Allah mentions that in another ayah. That the Prophet and the Nabi is closer to the believers than they are to themselves. Uh, SubhanAllah. That the Prophet is very close to us. Uh, the Prophet is the closest being to us with Allah. SubhanAllah. Meaning he loves us so much and so dearly that he will bend over backwards to make sure nothing happens to us. But where and when? In this world, definitely, when the Sahaba were there, he didn't want anything to happen to the Sahaba. He did not want to impose any strict regulations on the Sahaba in terms of their ibadat, which was out of compassion and uh, for their training and discipline. He didn't want the Ummah to suffer. He made dua to Allah subhanahu wa Allah, don't uh, kill my Ummah out of famine. And uh, he made some other duas. And then, obviously, the dua he will make for all believers on the Day of Judgment that he will want Allah to spare everybody from the fire of hell. Because there's no greater standard of human generosity than that. That he says, I will be the first one to be allowed to enter Jannah, but I will be the last one to enter Jannah, because in between I will be interceding, I will be making shafa'ah for other people. The idea of shafa is well established in the Quran and Sunnah for those who might think it's a bid'ah. It's not a bid'ah. It's very well identified, substantiated in all books of Aqidah. And uh, the Quran and Sunnah talks about shafa, all of that, and so on. So, yeah, the intercession of the Prophet on the Day of Judgment that Allah will open all eight gates and have all the angels escort him into Jannah. Then he will say, No, what about my people? What about my ummah? So there's no greater display, expression of love for humanity than through the Prophet ﷺ on the Day of Judgment. Now, how are you going to rebel against such a person? How are you not going to consider what he says is now shifa and cure and healing and remedy and peace and, uh, you know, what we call comfort and a refuge? So now, this is how we must position ourselves mentally, psychologically, emotionally, so that we're willing to accept what Allah and the Rasul does. When we are willing to accept what Allah and the Rasul say and what they do, then we have now started the journey of appreciating the maqam of our Lord. 
the status of our Lord. So this is how the Quran is phrasing this ayah. Those who respect and they fear the maqam of their Lord. And then, they prevent and stop themselves. The key is self-policing. The Quran Sunnah wants you to police yourself, to police your own conscience, and to police your own emotions, and to police your own behavior, because you're doing this for you. You're not doing this for your parents, you're not doing this for your spouse, you're not doing this for your siblings and for your children. Now, the effect may go to your parents, your spouse, your siblings and your children, no doubt. When you take care of them, you're taking care of them, because it's going to benefit you. If you don't take care of them, then it will hurt you, both in this world and in the world hereafter. So now the Quran is emphasizing that you must take care of yourself. So now if there's something detrimental that is going to hurt you and harm you, then you must stay away from it. You prevent yourself from doing that sin or doing that deed or making that uh, decision and so on. So the emphasis is on the individual's ability to choose between right and wrong. Allah gives you a choice. There's no compulsion. You make the choice. Okay? So there's no compulsion there and there is no one there sitting inside of you on top of your head with a sledgehammer saying that if you do this then I'm going to just waste you. Alright, there's no one there. Who is there? You are there. So you have to be your own referee. You have to be your own judge. And you have to decide for yourself what is good for me, what is good for someone else. And that's how the idea of ethics and morals and behavior and virtue come into play in society and so on. The age old discussion of uh, the rights and duties. With every right is a duty and with every duty the right, who's right, who's wrong. And that becomes kind of a secondary. Uh, to this discussion is that why am I doing this? I'm doing this so it benefits me. And I'm not doing this because it will hurt me. So this is about you, all of you. So that's how the Quran is addressing that you self-police yourself. You don't need a state to police you. SubhanAllah, you see this evidence of guidance in Ramadan. Well, MashaAllah, Alhamdulillah. That most Muslims, if not all Muslims, in Ramadan, they stop eating during the time they're not supposed to eat. It's not a government mandate. It's not a doctor saying, hey, you need to lose weight, stop eating. It's not your mother or father saying, hey, hey you got to take care of your diabetes and stop eating. It's not your wife or your husband beating down upon you, hey, stop eating. All right, why do you stop eating? It's perfectly halal for you, the food is halal. But who stops you from eating? No one except you. So there, you can't show up when you're fasting, and nobody will believe you anyway. I'm fasting, okay, fine, whatever. So nobody knows whether you're truly fasting or not. You can easily, very, very easily cheat and go into the kitchen or go into the pantry or go into the car and, you know, have a snack or something and come out. It's very easy. But Muslims, alhamdulillah, through Allah's fadl, show and display that Allah does exist in their lives in terms of stopping themselves because the word soul means insak, it means to stop. It means to stop drinking and eating and everything else that you're not supposed to do in Ramadan. 
So that is the proof of Allah's existence. That Allah exists in the minds and hearts and souls, conscious, subconscious, every Muslim in the Ramadan and that he, he brings life into you. But it's not because of mandate. As I said about the, the, the masks, the COVID vaccine, every government wants to impose that mask on the community, well, most of them do anyway. But nobody's bothered. Nobody even can ask. Why? Because that's a government mandate. You want to rebel. Now, the same Muslim who says, I'm not going to wear a mask, will definitely not eat in Ramadan because it's Allah's hukum, Allah's order. Who's stopping you? No one in the world is stopping you. No system, no government. No money stopping you from doing what you can do in, outside of Ramadan. You are the only one that stops yourself. So that is why here in this ayah, it's up to the individual to prevent himself from following his bestial desires and his low-life kind of inclinations and propensities and ambitions and everything else. You police yourself. You are your own police, your conscience is your police, and your subconscious is your police. Now you make sure that you follow that. Then you will realize the maqam of Allah. You realize his status, you realize his worth and value, and you realize his presence. What is now the benefit of this? The benefit is when you die. Yeah. Yeah. Just a simple point that I want to... Uh, can uh, finish uh, this uh, discussion of mine, if you want to call it a discussion. You can also call it a rant, which is fine too. But anyway, so, what I'm saying is that the, 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 the most important, I, I think, uh, uh, element that we have to bring forward into understanding, discussing Islam, is that Islam is not just secular. Islam is not limited to uh, what he calls harms and benefits in this world. That when you want to talk about Islamic values, you have to bring in the Akhirah, the Day of Judgment, and Jannah, Jahannam, into the discussion. If you don't, then that is a secular value. Non-Muslims may bring secular values to discussion. What's the value of not drinking? Well, what's the harm in drinking? So now you'll have doctors and other scientists, and well, there's a little bit of benefit in drinking. You know, it helps here and there, I don't know what, but whatever it is, the scientific community have papers, and you know, they have books and everything else. So a little bit of wine is good. That's a secular value. Why do we say wine drinking is no good? Because we have the value of the Akhirah. That is what makes it Islamic. So Islam is not limited in its discussion to benefits and harm of this world. It extends the discussion to the other world. That is what separates Islam from the secular model. In the Islamic model, you will consider the Akhirah also that there is harm for people who drink alcohol and wine here. And what is that? There's ism, there's sin, and for that you could be punished. So that's how now you must appreciate that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't want any harm coming to you. The Prophet also doesn't want any harm coming to you, but that is based on 
harm eventually, the consequences of actions on the Day of Judgment and afterwards. That is where Allah and the Rasul come and then define for you a way of life that's going to help you both in this world and in the other world and so on. The evils of alcohol are so obvious that they're naked. I don't need to tell you guys how bad alcohol is for society, for community and for the individual and so on and so forth. It's right in front of you. You probably live it every day, day in, day out with all the other people who drink wine and alcohol and their beer and, you know, whatever it is that they drink over there in England and everywhere else in the world. So you, you can see how this, this has detrimental effects in the world, even though there may be some beneficial effects in the world too. But the Quran takes into consideration both that the, the effects of the Akhirah will override the effects of the world in this world. And so on. So that's how we must position ourselves, position our minds. It's a mental exercise I'm asking people to now engage in. Yes, stay away from sin, stay away from, you know, extramarital, premarital affairs, stay away from wine, alcohol, gambling, and perhaps more importantly, stay away from lying, cheating, deceiving, backstabbing, and, you know, scamming the system and exploiting the government and all of that, which unfortunately. Uh, seems to be a common thing going on everywhere in the world that you know, if you can get the better of a system then good for you then you're seen as a smart person but you have to be careful that does not jeopardize your ability to procure your salvation anyway enough said Jazakumullah khair for listening to me tolerating me Alhamdulillah may Allah subhanahu ta'ala guide you guide me may Allah subhanahu ta'ala inshallah allow us to live a life of decency a life of morality, a life of Islam. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala increase our love for Allah and the Rasul and the Deen. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to serve Allah the Rasul and the Deen. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, save us and protect us from the COVID, save us and protect us from every illness and disease, save us and protect us from misery and from depression, and save us and protection and protect us from any kind of thought of suicide, save us and protect us from all the other uh, the kind of nasty things are happening outside in the world, in ourselves. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to live a life in this world in such a way that when we meet Him, He is pleased with us and we are pleased with Him. Ameen. Rabbil Alameen. Jazakumullah khair. I will wait for the host, inshallah, to conclude. Jazakumullah khair. Jazakumullah Sheikh Muhammad Amin Saab for your kind words for the kind words and also for the very thought-provoking and intellectually stimulating discussion uh, on this very important topic. Um, if you would like to make a final dua, inshallah, um, and then we can close the program, inshallah. ربنا تقبل منا إنك أنت السميع العليم وتب علينا إنك أنت التواب الرحيم ربنا ظلمنا أنفسنا وإن لم تغفر لنا وترحمنا لنكونن من الخاسرين الله محسن عقبتنا في الأمور كلها وأجرنا من خزي الدنيا وعذاب القبر وذاب الآخرة آمين يا رب العالمين وصلى الله تعالى على خير خلقه محمد وآله وأصحابه أجمعين برحمته يا رب الرحمين والحمد لله رب العالمين Exactly. Okay. We will talk to you soon, inshallah.